0: quick, as in I, I've never used it before. Um, we are live. But go, plus, ahead and, go ahead and ask
1: the question. We don't mind.
0: Wow. Um, <laughs> I wanted to know, um, are you doing all the broadcast switching on my end? Because if I click these webcams, that doesn't affect the feed, right?
1: Correct. The feed is, okay, is based on voice. So, And like that, we have started another edition of The Critic, the Geek, and the Girl. It's, don't worry, John, don't worry about it. It always starts in the middle of a
2: conversation. I'm, I'm
1: okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes so, really
2: awkward uh, conversation.
1: Then after the awkward conversation comes the theme song. Danae, you're ah. to the theme song.
2: All right, the critic. He's legit. The girl. Wait, the geek. Our guest is John this week. The girl. She's a perfect fit. It's the critic, the geek, and the girl.
1: Very nicely done. I am Aaron Dicer. I am the critic. And uh, joining me, of course, uh, is the girl. That's Danae Hughes. Hello. And then we have another sit in for the geek this week. Uh, Jonathan is with us from Jog Wheel. You can check out his YouTube channel uh, at Jog Wheel. And uh, very honored to have you here. Love your reviews. Love your your, uh, stuff in microwaves videos. You're you're one of dozens. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's so, good to be here. I haven't done a, a,
0: a group live show in, in in quite a bit of time, so this'll be this'll be fun.
1: Yeah, it's really laid back. We just like to talk like friends about movies and TV and different stuff that's going on in culture and uh, I find it's a good way to kinda I love it because I get to get my own opinions out there which I love, and then I also get to be informed by other people's opinions and think about things that, you know, maybe I didn't think about and it's just, you know, it kinda helps hone in on on what I think is something, especially when it's this fresh. Uh, you know, like when you're looking at a movie that you know just kind of just came out and you're still... I,
0: I haven't been able to stop thinking about Furious 7, so I'm excited to talk about that with you guys.
1: Yeah, um, we're excited as well. Uh, and so let's, let's just get right into... Oh no, before we get into it, I do want to give a, just a little bit of a primer on if you're watching this live or if you're watching this later. Both are fine. If you watch live, which we're about every other Saturday about 3 p.m. Central... Uh, we do this thing and if you're on the event page you should be able to ask us questions with the Q&A app um, which there's a little button there to do that and follow along with the questions as they're asked. You can certainly leave comments at the YouTube page. Um, It'll take us a little bit longer to see those and get to those and quite honestly a lot of times we don't get to those live because we don't see them till afterwards so if you want to interact live two best ways to do it are actually at the event page and then uh, by tweeting us, um, because uh, I do have my phone here, uh, so I'll be able to see any tweets that come to me. And we've got our Twitter's, you know, our Twitter handles right on the screen. So
2: yeah, if you're at the event page, there's a little like little boxes at the very top, your menu. When you click on that, it'll say Q and A and Showcase. So click on Q and A, and you'll be able to see the questions. William Parcel already on it.
1: That's a good point, though. You know, we we should uh, we should make that point um, because William got in early and asked a bunch of questions about the stuff we're going to be talking about. That's great. Once the event is up, um, which we try to get up, you know, several days before we go live, you can go ahead and populate that with questions that you have, even if you're not going to be watching the show live. So that's something a lot of people may not know. And if you're watching this on delay, you know, something you think, oh, well, I can never make it on Saturdays that's fine, just you know, watch our feed for when the, you know, the event goes live and you can go ask questions even if you can't make it live and, and kind of get those questions you know, addressed. So uh, we love being able to do that. Uh, also, uh, this week I'm trying something new. YouTube has a new feature called Cards. John, have you seen this feature? Yeah, it's actually, it's not new. Maybe it's new for your channel. I got it like a half a year ago and I haven't
0: unfortunately had enough time to really explore its potential, um, but I like it. I'm annoyed that they had to move our branding bug from one corner to the next because that screwed up a bunch of my graphics but it's it's one of the few YouTube features that I didn't immediately
1: hate so yeah and it's nice because it's available on mobile as well and so many more people are using mobile to watch these videos it is also available in live events so this event right now has cards activated if you click the little I in the corner um, you should be able to open up uh, you know, a link to my website as well as some of the videos I've done recently, things like that, so that should be available throughout the video as well if I'm understanding it correctly. Very That's cool. Let you know about that. Now let's get into Furious 7. Excited to talk about this. Uh, it is the seventh movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, a franchise that if you'd have told me when the first one came out that there'd be seven of them I would have laughed in your face. I think uh, that
0: would have been the case for anybody though.
1: Yeah, it's very surprising, and at the same time, somehow, I'm kind of glad there are seven of them. Like, you know, it's one of those franchises that that somehow has grown on me over the years. Um, It's famous for that, and also, of course, this one, you know, one of the big lines of conversation I'm sure we'll get into is dealing with Paul Walker's death, and how it affected the movie, and not only what was in the movie, but how the movie was made, all that kind of stuff uh, that we'll get into. Fast and Furious is a franchise about, you know, fast cars, scantily clad women, and fist fights, And, you know, cheesy one-liners. That's that's yep. Fast and the Furious. And uh, this movie certainly had all of those things. Let's start with just because I want to, Danae. How are oh. your feelings on Furious? <laughs> I,
2: I even tried to avoid eye contact I with know, the camera. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> Don't pick me. So this is my first time to see a Fast and Furious movie.
1: And I really? want to before you, before you go into that, I love this perspective. I love having somebody who has, you know, no familiarity with the others to tell us what this movie on its own was like for you.
2: Yeah, I can't
0: even imagine going into a movie that with so much backstory and continuity without seeing the other six. So I'm yeah. I'm re- I, I'm with Aaron on this one. I'm curious what you thought about it without knowing any of the backstory.
2: So there's a bit of it. This is a first of all, I apologize for Fast and Furious fans. Because um, this isn't going to be pretty in that regard. Like, but uh, this movie, I don't think I needed a lot of context for it because the characters—it was a very spoon-fed movie in that way, you know, where you don't really have to think when you're watching this movie. The plots being fed to you, um, the visuals are being fed to you. You know, kind of everything's just sort of moving along at the pace, which is a fast pace. There's—I did not expect it to be. Um, uh, action wrapped into action wrapped into more action with a little spice of action. I didn't expect that which I probably should have so this is definitely not my maybe my favorite movie genre but it's one that you could put up you know, and watch around the house while you're cleaning or something and just have it on. It wasn't something that had a lot of substance for me um, maybe because I haven't seen any of them before but I definitely got the feeling that this is the bow tying movie you know they're really trying to bring in the storylines and really kind of bring things together for this cast of characters and it was really evident to me from the people that were in the theater that they loved it you yeah, i mean there's people that were you know laughing and gasping and going oh dang did you see that you know they were just very <laughs> very involved and so i realized i kind of stepped into a world that um, a lot of people really enjoy and even though it was not um, nearly close to my favorite movie, there's a lot of things that really really made me like go really this this is just this is stupid. This is maybe the stupidest thing since Transformers is so stupid. Like you were talking Aaron about like um all the things that it is, you know mm-hmm. um, one of the things for sure that this movie is is it gives every character unlimited lives like they should yes. die. So many times they should die. And I didn't, again, expect the ridiculousness of it yeah, in that they're, way. They're, even
0: when they do die, they frequently come back.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> so maybe if I would have see, seen other ones, I would have kind of, that would have just been something to expect. But for me, I was experiencing the first time. And so it just kept getting more and more ridiculous for me, less and less believable for me. And the only thing I really took away at the end is kind of that they did a good job of tying all of the pieces together at least as far as i can tell but especially for uh for Paul's character so
1: i think that's a, that's why i love that perspective because i think for somebody who has watched this franchise uh, the the word i'm going to use is grow even though you know what it's really doing is it's kind of locking itself even more into what it is and I think there's a confidence there that it's having about what kind of movie it is, and so it becomes more confident movie making, even though it's still the same ridiculous movie it was at the beginning, it's just more sure of itself. Um, And so, you know, having seen that, to someone who just walks into this movie, you're having the experience most of us had when we saw the first one, which Uh is, this is ridiculous, this is (laughs) stupid, this is silly. It was
2: so ridiculous.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm just glad that their outfits
0: have been updated since their first installment. <laughs> if, you, if you see some of the stuff that they wore in part one, it was, was really bad. So besides, besides Paul Walker's spongy, blonde, frosted tips look and Michelle Rodriguez wearing what amounts to like a Michael Jackson outfit, I am just so glad they've grown up as well as the franchise. Because <laughs> I, I watched all six of them uh, again this week and. I think that's what struck me most about the 2001 original is how awful all of them dressed. <laughs> it was a product we... of its time.
2: Yeah, it was exactly. Still
0: fresh in the late 90s when that came out.
1: So, did you feel like too, like, um, like how young they are in that first one? I mean, you, you think Jordana of...
0: Brewster's 19? Actually, probably
1: 18 yeah. when they filmed it. So yeah, they, wow. they were very young. And, and I'm just, I'm looking at Paul Walker in some of those shots, and I'm just thinking, that, he was a kid. Like, yeah. it, it's incredible. And like you said, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. It was what. 14 years ago? How long ago was it? They filmed it about 15 years ago. Like, oh, so, you know, it's... 2000. Wow. Um, So, yeah, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Well, What did you think, John, overall of the movie? Give us some thoughts. Uh, Overall, I
0: thought it was awesome. I had a fantastic time. I think it's one of those franchises that has really embraced its identity, like you said. It knows what it is, and it unabashedly just goes for broke every single scene the mountaintop chase through the Colorado um, highway there was fantastic every step of the way. It was a much longer action scene than I'm used to. I thought for sure, oh, this they knock the bus, the, the bus off the edge of the cliff. That has to be the end of it, right? No, there's like another five to ten minutes after that where the chase continues with a few more characters are introduced. I was always having fun. Generally was pretty surprised. I had seen a lot of the promos and trailers where Vin and um, Paul are sky hopping between those Abu Dhabi skyscrapers and they crash into one of them like that was fantastic and then they keep going into a second building and I'm like well I didn't expect this the trailer only showed us one of these and like Denae said there's a lot of just suspension of disbelief these characters are invincible immortal car racing gods who can do no wrong and if you embrace that and accept this movie sort of self-awareingly Let's its characters play in this universe where rules of physics, realism, and mortality don't exist. You can generally <laughs> walk away with a pretty good time, um, and I had an absolute blast. Like the everything about it was just so over the top, so much fun. I think as a cohesive unit, there was a lot that didn't make any sense at all. More so than the last installments, I think that's a bit of it is forgivable, be given like the extenuating circumstances of the production. We know that they had a refilm or re together a good like 40% of this after Paul died. So the fact that the plot doesn't really make sense overall, I was willing to let slide. But like my chief complaint that I mentioned in my Movie Night review a couple days ago was the whole impetus to get the crew back together to take out Jason Statham was, we need you to find the god's eye so that we can track him down so that you can kill him ignore the fact that he keeps trying to kill you anyway and has showed up in every scene of the movie unannounced. It's, Dom's first suggestion was, why don't we just sit here and wait for him to show up? And I was like, that sounds like a good idea. And what do they do at the end of the movie? They wait for him to show up. Like that's, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, every thought, time they go looking for him, he just shows up anyway. I yeah.
1: kept waiting for there to be a twist to that, like a different, like yeah. that Michael Douglas's character wanted it for a different reason, or you yeah. know, that you know, some Kurt Russell.
0: Something.
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, Kurt Russell.
0: Michael okay. Douglas, though, I
1: think would probably be pretty good in that role as well. <laughs> I'm kind an of old white guy in role. Oh, I'm gonna have to put an annotation in my review. I think I actually made that mistake. Anyways, oh. <laughs> so um. So, but I think, you know, just the fact that there seemed like there should be something more underneath there, right, you know, and it was yeah. like, but there but there wasn't, and I, I totally agree with that. You guys have hit on most of uh, what I would say on both sides of the the coin. Um, I think it's a movie, you talk about letting the plot stuff slide, I think it's a movie you just let slide, you know, you just, yeah. just you know what it is going into it, and if you come from that perspective, you come away having a great time. Um, and I thought, you know, you mentioned the action. Here's one thing that, that I haven't heard mentioned. I think they do the action very well. Like I'm never confused yeah. during those car chases. I'm never confused during those fist fights. I know exactly you know, where all the, the pieces are in relation to each other and how they're working together and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, that's hard to do. Good action yeah. scenes are hard to shoot. And, uh, you know, I, I'm impressed with, you know, that touch that they have. Right. On- the
0: franchise has always been really good about that. And I, and I mentioned in my review of Fast and Furious uh, number four that there's a sequence where Vin and Paul are racing some drug smugglers and there's a, a 3D GPS graphic overlay during the whole race. They keep cutting back to their GPS where the cars are in relationship to the road and the other drivers. And it's a very simple mechanic from a, a production standpoint to include this into the scene, but it's something that really helps the viewer understand the geography of the different players. And I felt like geography and understanding the, the consequences and timeline of an action scene is what makes a, a good scene really work. And that entire sequence on the mountaintop, it, it worked because we understood where people needed to go and when they needed to get there. We saw that they were dropping out of a mountain. We saw that overlay map before they began. So we kind of knew all right, they have to land at the very top of this mountain with parachutes, and then they're going to drive down this windy road. We got a sense of what was going to happen, and then they delivered on it. I think that's important where if you have some idea of what to expect, you can kind of fill in the blanks in terms of what's the consequence, how are they going to pull this off. When we see Vin rev up the engine in that supercar, we're like, okay he's probably going to just drive for that other building that's what's happening here right and if we didn't already know that other building was there it might not work but they sort of set up cues and clues along the way to let you know how this is going to shake out and you know where it could spell disaster for our heroes and
2: That's a really um, good point but it's and maybe it's something that you guys are able to do because you've been in this world before you know for me I'm just going I really wish somebody would have maybe told me that the only thing I had to prep for is exactly what you said John that they're like demigods that yes. they have insane like durability and unlimited resources for gas and vehicles and like because my brain is just like dude you just like blew out like you just like and you just touched your windshield and it just kind of falls off in the middle of a chase when it well, was, was getting riddled is, with bullets
0: shield move
2: like, I don't know because it okay went went
0: through it and I was like is that always part on. of the plan or were they going to do something else I know
2: else? so that's what I was you know so maybe you guys are like wow this is really great i'm enjoying this chasing and i'm just thinking like you guys should be dead you should be <laughs> so dead and then because i also don't know these characters this same kind of scene where we're up in the mountains um, Paul's character you know he gets out and stands on his car with no one driving it, and then someone pushes the car to get it close to this next... And I'm like, this guy is in jeans, a t-shirt, a zip-up hoodie, and some Vans kicks. And he's yep. going to go in there and like <laughs> battle some sort of like ninja yeah. and I can yeah. I'm like who is this guy? He must be important somehow, you know. Later on maybe they're mentioned police officer and he rips off like an FBI thing off of a vest. So I'm like, okay, maybe he had skills at one point in time, but my first introduction to this character is like he's a dad, you know. So I'm like, why, why are you doing that right now? Why yeah, are any no, of you wearing was a like battle gear?
0: Of movies, an FBI agent in the fourth, and then since then a fugitive on the run. Ugh. But, um There what was a point I wanted to make there. Before I went and saw this with my wife the other night, I she is sort of similarly in your boat where she doesn't quite accept a lot of the reality. And I and I sort of asked her and explained to my wife, you appreciate the Avengers and Iron Man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and for what reason is it that you're willing to suspend disbelief with Robert Downey Jr., but mm-hmm. not Vin Diesel? And it's like, well, that's, that's comic book. That Rules don't apply. I'm like, well, that, this is a movie. This isn't real either. And I think if you can approach Fast and Furious knowing mm-hmm. that, like, yeah, this is fiction. These yep. aren't real people. It yep. doesn't have to be real life. Then it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm on board now. I don't have to really criticize the fact that none of this is possible. At and one point,
2: they're not, they're not I was able to let it go.
1: Yeah. The rock calls 20 stories and breaks an arm, and meanwhile, earlier this week, I'm eating lasagna and chip a tooth on my fork. You know, like right. You right. Know, it's just, that's the real world versus the comic book world. You know, um, so yeah, I totally agree, and I think that's part of kind of the acceptance of going into this thing. Yeah. Um, to, able to see that kind of stuff. So
2: we, can we can we go into it a little bit of a spoiler though, like, because I do want to talk very specifically about a couple of scenes, but I feel like if somebody's a super pretty, fan, you might yeah, not want to see it.
1: Here on Critic Geek and the Girl, we're pretty loose about, um, you know, we're willing to talk spoilers. We like to give warnings when we can, um, so just so you know, you're aware, you may want to turn down uh, the microphone if you don't want a, a spoiler. Danae, what were you going to say?
2: So specifically because I feel like Paul's character was such an important person to this storyline in this this movie series. The whole entire time when I was watching the movie, I was like, are they going to kill off his character? I kind of expected them to in a way. So the whole time, I've got like this dual thing happening where, you know, I know in real life this person's no longer with us. And so I'm wondering kind of how they're going to do that. Um, And then towards the end, I'm like, no, they're going to let him live. And then I realized just this is a beautiful tribute to this guy's life um, where they're letting him live in this movie. You know, they are giving him a life that he couldn't have in real life here on our planet. That's
0: what made it so bittersweet at the end, too. Yeah. Because when when we hear that final monologue as Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Perth are singing that song, See You Again, which I've had stuck in my head all week now, it, it you know it, it occurs to the audience, as I think it rightly should, that um, we're not hearing Dom Toretto eulogize Brian O'Connor. We're hearing no. Vin Diesel eulogize Paul Walker. And I think that was a really important sort of fourth-wall-breaking, very overt bit of dialogue. These characters on the beach looking at their friend are, are really just, they're not acting anymore. They're just talking about their actual friend, Paul, and not Brian O'Connor. And I think that's why it was so powerful, because we know all of this backstory. We know how hard it would have been for them to film these scenes. And I think everything worked. That final shot of the two cars, like, I was crying like a fucking baby. Oh, it was, man. It was great.
2: I got oh, wow. chills. I was watching, you know, this whole scene, and so, you know, uh, they're at the beach and they're watching Paul with his family, and it's just this, you know, kind of beautiful thing. And in my head, I'm going, I wonder, because they they brought his brother back in to kind of help with some of the post production. I think is what I was reading about um, when he when he passed away that they were gonna, and then they brought in his brother to help. I think he was kind of similar body, you know, type, and then then uh, he kind of drives away, like, you know, I'm not going to say goodbye. It's never goodbye. It's just, you know, which is beautiful. And then all of a sudden, Paul, like, appears in the car beside him, and they're, like, side by side in these cars. He glances over, and I don't know where they pulled that footage. If it was from the movie, and they just kind of reinvented it. If it was a little bit of CGI. If I'm like, is that his brother's body? And then they cgi you know, his face. Like, I don't know how they did that, if that was part of the plan or not. It was just such a beautiful tribute, and I don't know. I just didn't want to spoil that for anybody that might really want to see that and experience it
1: for well, the first I'm, time. Well, so. I'm glad you talked about it. That's where I wanted to move us next anyway, was to talk kind of about the Paul Walker stuff and just just as an aside um uh John, we try to keep it PG-13 on the channel. So oh. in, <laughs> Yeah, in, I forgot. in PG-13. No, no, no. You're good. You get one in a PG-13 okay. movie. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's all it is. Um so anyways, uh so yeah, so the Paul Walker stuff, I was so surprised by how Emotional it was, you know, by how like how like you said, you know, the the tears are coming and I'm going. It's because it got really real there, you know, like it was real people mourning a real friend, somebody they really can, you know, considered family and and it meant a lot to them. And um, and I think that is one of the most important things to mention about the movie is it is impactful in that way and that they did. I think they did a really good job at at allowing that to happen towards the end in its biggest. You know, moment and not right. letting distract from too much of the, you know, the in between. Um, having said that, I do think his absence is noticeable. Yeah. And I do think there's a lot about this movie, like you said, that you forgave that I could not help but be distracted by. Which is, you know, well, it was same.
0: definitely a distraction. I was looking for the body doubles and the CGI masking every scene because I'm just sort of obsessed with the production of this movie, and I've always been fascinated since he died 15 months ago, how are they going to resolve this? Now, Danae, you seem to only have noticed that final CGI shot
1: it's at true. the very, very
0: end of the movie, but yep. there were probably a hundred of them. What? The entire Everything in Dubai was shot with somebody else. They oh. didn't film that until after he passed. Almost everything um, with him and the kid at the very beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie, that was all somebody else.
2: Oh, my and goodness.
0: They did a pretty good job of cutting around it but there's a scene where the seven of them get together on uh, the parking lot overlooking
1: uh, downtown yeah, LA. Was, I was going to bring that. That was the scene I was going to specifically yeah. mention, where it's the most distracting to me. Yeah, because they 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 kept cutting around him. He was on the
0: far far right of the lineup. The camera never showed him for more than a couple frames. Even it was, we we saw the side of his face as he was finishing a sentence for maybe half a second, and then they'd cut away from him. You never saw him deliver a full word, let alone a full line, and that was sort of, in any other Fast and Furious movie, he would be front and center with Vin Diesel, laying out all the exposition for the final leg of the movie, but here he was just sort of, yup, and that was all, we just got like a sort of a nod over in the corner, which was, if you know the character and you know his place in the series, it seemed like, well, he seems to have taken a back seat on this one, Right, that was unfortunate for sure.
1: Right, and the only way to and the only way you explain it as a viewer is because you know the backstory, and so that becomes distracting because it becomes something you 're thinking about instead of the movie itself, and so yeah. you know there is that element to it and I wonder in you know in much the same regard i'll mention this if there's a shadow that looms over the movie too, in the fact of the way Paul Walker died is so similar to yeah. you know what's going on through most of this movie with the fast cars and things like that and um, you know I just I wonder if we also let slide you know the glorification of these very dangerous things because it is again a fantasy a, you know a movie it's not you know real life and then when we're confronted with it there's also that internal discourse that happens where it's like oh yeah this is fiction but guess what something real really happened to that person you know so I wonder if that's part of it too.
0: I think it, it definitely makes a lot of it um, a bit more eerie and a bit more unsettling you're watching this man who, whose very last work on this planet was crashing cars at high speeds and knowing that that's how he also died it's like well that's sort of creepy and it's it's definitely unsettling but at the same time there's a great quote that Paul said you know whenever it doesn't really matter when um he said if if speed ever kills me don't cry for me because I was smiling and I see it's a really sort of succinct and, and appropriate message for if someone like him, that if you, if you knew his personality. So I, I don't, I'm not really as bothered by it because I know this is what he loved. He loved fast cars. The Toyota Supra at the end of the movie that he drives off into the sunset with is reportedly his very own from his own private collection. And that's sort of like the, the guy that he is. He loves fast cars. So the fact that he
1: died driving one is, I guess, appropriate. If, for lack of a better word, sure, and and I think a reminder that to make those choices in life does have consequences, and he was familiar yeah. with that as well. It's not like he didn't know there are there are in real life, unlike yeah. this movie, there are actual consequences to making those choices, and so I think he was aware of that, and uh, in in many ways now a lot of us are even more aware of it too. So, um, so yeah, I think that that both of those things are important to, to think of. So anything else you guys wanted to mention about the movie as we kind of, you know, wrap up our feelings and maybe throw a grade at it, something like that? Dimanjin Honsu was completely pointless
0: and irrelevant in that movie. He was an Academy Award nominee, and they wasted him.
1: It seemed like there were so many people, it felt like, you know, they wasted a, a, a of, lot of them. Yeah. It, so, it was yeah, I, like I, a movie I,
2: it's I, like where they did everything. You know, they, they just they got... Everything involved—it's like all the ideas. It's just let's just do it all. So, but I think um, they,
0: they set up a great deal of stuff for the eighth movie, and I'm excited to see how these different players—the ones who survived the end of the movie, which it seemed like most of them will will come back for another movie—and they they introduced a lot of new people, but I, I don't know that we be another one them, really. Well, you know what? Well, they, they'll definitely make another one.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> so really? Two three more. At least. All no. right, so this, let's. Uh, I just selected a question from William that, that he <laughs> said, would you be okay if they continued the Fast and Furious franchise with a different main protagonist? So, you know, is that something, how would you feel about if they put somebody else kind of in that Paul Walker role, which I'm assuming looks likely that they might do. Uh, I, for one, would love to see Lucas Black come back. That's what um, I wondered if they were setting that up. I wondered if that's what that yeah. was about. And they... they I really wanted to see
0: more of him in that Tokyo portion. I was hoping we were to finally get that, the Dom Toretto and Sean Boswell drifting scene through the Tokyo parking lots that they sort of teased nine years ago. That would have been a great little middle-act race for this movie to break up some of the action and tension. They skipped over it. They went right to just his quick cameo. But from what I understand, Lucas has signed on for two more films I wonder if they're going to be two more cameos or if they're going to try to integrate him more closely with the rest of the crew. I think he seems to me like the heir apparent. He already had his own film. He was already the lead. He's you know, this charismatic white southern guy. I feel like he can sort of slip into Paul's responsibilities rather well. I just don't know if enough people are going to like him. And I don't know if a character who's supposedly supposed to be a teenager can still be played by 32-year-old Black in a movie with a bunch of you know, gearheads that are twice his age. But I think if they can make that work, he seems like the obvious fit because he's already part of this franchise. He already has his origin story, and it seems like a better way to tie these movies together, which they seem to really want to do. Rather than pretend like Tokyo Drift didn't exist, they made four movies all leading up to one event within that movie. So it was an interesting choice, I think, to include him in seven, and I feel like if for no other reason... Uh, besides fan
1: service, than to set up some potential role of his in
0: the next couple of movies.
1: Yeah, I I think I think you could be right. And Danae, just so in case you're wondering who Lucas Black is during the... Yeah, I was um, about to
0: get into that right afterwards.
1: <laughs> yeah, he during towards the beginning of the movie when Dom goes to Tokyo, I think they have a conversation in a parking garage, don't they? And they're kind of leaning over yeah. the, the...
2: I was able to glean from the...
1: The con- context?
2: Yeah, he was the one that handed him the necklace. That's
1: right. right. See, I don't need to well, explain. He, he, was, he was the lead
0: protagonist in, in part three of the franchise. He had an entire movie all by himself, um, and, and Vin Diesel and Paul Walker weren't in that picture. And then they went back to the regular cast. So he's only had that one movie, and this was his only appearance since then. Hmm. And it seems like he's a really good fit to... Because I don't think you can do a movie with Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel. I don't think you can have them as the two leads.
2: They're, I hope not, ever again. They're
0: too similar. You need that sort of straight man... Like the guy who's not a physical menace. You need a smaller sort right. of weaker body more type Somebody more relatable.
2: Somebody more relatable than like yeah. a man who flexes and breaks out of a cast. People, yeah. that happens. <laughs> that happens.
1: I have to be honest. I, with The Rock, with Dwayne Johnson, he has shown me that he is an actual actor in a few movies. Yeah. And like he does some good stuff. And it was kind of interesting. I had this thing in my brain where I'm watching. I'm going, no, no, you're taking a step back. You don't have to do this anymore. You're like, you're really good. You don't have to say these cheesy one-liners. But I understand I that. I, I agree. He
0: is a, He's a really talented actor. And seeing him on um, uh, the new Lip Sync Battle show a couple days ago, I was further convinced that this guy loves what he does for a living
2: yeah. and, and
0: loves giving the fans what they want. I think yeah. that's why he does these movies. Not because yep. he needs a paycheck or because he wants to be more part of the craft of acting. He just has fun. And I think the audience can tell that he's having fun. And those lines, daddy's got to go to work. Like, he's <laughs> fully aware of how fantastically cheesy and awful it is. And in, he just, he imbues that personality so well. And he, he he gave this franchise a really, like, big, you know, shot in the arm a couple movies ago when he joined with Fast Five. And he's he's really been, like, the best part of some of these films for a while.
1: Yeah, um, I, I agree. It's just, you know... Um... Man, some of those lines. For me, that's the hardest part for me to go with, are the cheesy one-liners. Like, they, they take me out of stuff more than any of the ridiculous stunts and, you know, immortal people. Really? Dead. It's the one liners because people just don't talk like that. Like They you know, do if
2: they don't have any brain cells left after taking so many hits and car accidents. Like no, There's no, nothing sorry, left up in there. No,
1: wrong. <laughs> it takes more brain cells to talk like that. That's what I'm saying. Normal people aren't that quick to think of those kind of things in the moment and then, secondly, be willing to say them without people just laughing at them.
2: I don't know. If you've yeah. ever seen The Rock Rib on WWE, he's he's pretty amazing. Well,
1: Anyways. he's a smart man. The Rock is a smart, he's,
2: smart man. He's a very amazing entertainer.
1: Well, all Harry, right. I feel
0: like I had answered William's question about the protagonist. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Having, and you've seen most of the films in the series, right?
1: I have. I've seen them all. Um, yeah. And I think it's inevitable in many ways. Uh, I'm with you in hoping, uh, and that was my answer, that I hope that Lucas Black does kind of become that direction just because he has at least a little bit of the credibility to do so. You know, Like you said, he right. had it in a movie. He's been there. Um, I don't think it will be as much of a problem as maybe you do. I think because of this movie is basic, this franchise, I should say, has basically just said, "Look, this is who we are. Deal with it." And people are willing right. to go along with whatever. Uh, in many ways, I compare the Fast and Furious franchise to the Step Up franchise. You know, the the dance movie franchise, where this this cast of characters they pull from and they come back into the you know to the stories or whatever. And this this franchise has just said, "Look, deal with it. We're you know." Uh, 3D dancing movie franchise, and we're going to make a movie every year, and it's you know people are going to love it who love it, and they're going to come see it. You know, so there's kind of that you know that feeling to it, um, and I think it'll it'll be just fine at the end of the day. I'm looking forward to seeing how they they tackle it. This movie
0: was sort of a, a salvage project of what they had left after Paul died. The next movie they're going to be able to start fresh. Maybe we'll get a better, more cohesive narrative, perhaps with less moving parts. Uh, but I'm excited to see what they go next with it. And, and to, you know, Denae's incredulousness, incredulity, whatever. All uh, that to, works. To your, to your disbelief, they absolutely <laughs> will make an eighth movie if only because this one's going to make about a billion dollars.
2: Oh, my goodness.
0: Universal has E.T., Jaws, Back to the Future, The Mummy. This is their most successful franchise. And that's saying a lot. So there's no way they're going to stop this cash cow anytime time the rest of the leads are still alive.
2: Well if I do go see another one I, I think I might at least have a better understanding of what I'm getting into and I yeah. might be able to en- enjoy it a little bit differently because there are there were a lot of really mu- beautiful and amazing things about it just the filmmaking you know the camera work uh, the fight scenes the rolling just all that it was just it was it was really great to watch but in the moment I could not get over the craziness of it but yeah anyway
1: I agree. Uh cool. Um, anybody wanna throw you guys wanna throw kind of a grade at it, something like that, just kinda overall what'd you think? Nine out of ten. Whoa! I said yeah. a B. B is where I landed on mine. Today. Oh.
2: Two out of five is what <laughs> I was thinking. But I, th- I
0: think the I think the Paul Walker send off alone is worth like one or two points. But the I've more that I think about, about it before, and that's that's saying something as well.
2: You've never cried at a movie?
0: No, not in an action movie. Oh, oh, okay. The last no, like time during oh. Field of Dreams, for sure.
1: The last time I cried during an action scene was during The Incredibles when Dash ran on the water. There was something so moving about him, like embracing his superpower, uh, that I just I started bawling, and that's that's the only other time I can remember crying in an action scene.
2: I think I would give it more after our conversation and after calming down. It's been 24 hours since I've seen it, and. I've been able to process it more so I probably would give it a little bit more than that but I don't know exactly how much yet <laughs> it's still it's still it's like a meal where it was so different it's like a different cultural meal when you're invited someplace in India and, like, you don't know what you just ate. It was very y and strange. And, and afterwards, you're like, well, I didn't get really horribly sick. It was just awkward and uncomfortable. And right. I guess the experience was nice. You know what I'm saying? So well,
1: I think that perspective is wonderful because I think it's kind of like the, you know, the crazy uncle in the family where you're just like, everybody just accepts it because you know that's the crazy uncle. But he's still crazy, you know, so your 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 points are not wrong. It is ridiculous. <laughs> it is, you know... Hard to swallow, but it's just we've accepted it because we know, you know, crazy. You know
2: people. that they're gonna survive the things that they survive in this, and I had right. no idea. I kept
0: I was like
1: I think it's also important to point out that that
0: I'm definitely the key demo for this franchise. I grew up <laughs> with it. When they when they came out with the first movie, I was still a teenager myself and I was sort of the target demo then of the fast cars and the hot babes in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of grown up alongside these characters. Jordana Brewster's only a couple years older than I am. So I, I embrace it because this is what you know. They're they're I'm the target audience. Right. You maybe not as much so. <laughs> no. <but laughs> I think I think if you just kind of forget everything else in the world for two hours, you can you have a good time yeah, with it.
2: that's true. All
1: right. Well, let's let's move on to Fox's new TV show, uh, The Last Man on Earth. I think they're about eight episodes in. It is a sitcom. It's you know just a half hour show or you know 20 minutes without the commercials. It is on Hulu if you want to check it out. Uh, Will Forte as the, um, supposedly, last man on Earth, and it is just kind of a new apocalyptic comedy. So um, beyond that, let's start uh, with you, John, this time. How much were you able to watch? What did you think of it? Uh, what are you? thoughts? I only had an opportunity to watch the pilot,
0: uh, which was a two-parter, at the at the least. Um, and I really enjoy it. The, the style of the humor, it's it's very deadpan. It's, it's very sort of satirical. Will Forte... Um, I don't know if I had doubts about him, but I was really interested to see would he be able to carry a show on his own. I, for one, loved McGruber when that came out a few years ago. I think that was one of those movies that flew under the radar not a lot of people heard of. When they announced they might be making a sequel, everyone was like, why, what? I'm like, have you seen the first one? It's actually really, really funny. This guy can hold his own. I think seeing him with a, a giant uh, caveman beard crapping into a pool and, and just everything about that. That setup and that environment that they've built for these characters is really, really intriguing to me. And every time I watch, I'm I'm thinking. The one time I watched, I'm sort of reminded like, how would I react in this situation? If I was the only person on Earth, would I just like make a camp in the Louvre and then like appreciate modern art? Would I live downtown in a Walmart? Like, what would you do if you had access to everything unfettered and you had no repercussions? You had no social rules of any kind. And this mo- and this show really sort of explores those ideas, which is what I like about it a lot so far.
1: I, I totally agree. I think the the atmosphere is one of the best points of this show, that it really embraces those questions and what it would be like. And at the same time, it's just a silly comedy. Uh, yeah. I, I agree about Will Forte, um, although I didn't really question him like you did. I, I have always kind of seen kind of that that... Subtle, just kind of almost underplayed comedy that he has. That is just, I think it's brilliant. I,
0: th- I think I think doubt was the wrong word. I I was just curious because I have never seen him really carry his own show. He's always been part of an ensemble. So to hear that he was going to be the only guy, male or female, in the in the in the picture, uh, I was interested in.
1: And he's he's done really good so far. I liked I liked the first two episodes a lot. And uh, my Will Forte story um, at the Critics Choice Awards a, a couple years ago. Uh, I'm running around during commercial breaks, getting selfies with you know, all these celebrities or whatever, and I'm walking back to my seat. Will Forte stops me and goes, why not me? Why, why are you not taking a, a selfie with me? So I took a selfie with Will. I just thought that was, that was yeah. so great, and to this day, is the only celebrity to ask me for a selfie. So, uh, so that's my Will Forte story, and that's, I think just he's that kind of guy. He's a funny guy. Right. So what do you think today?
2: Well, I have no idea who this guy is, so uh, once again, I'm experiencing something. Um, If you don't know this about me, I don't generally watch a lot of television or movies until I started kind of working with Aaron Dicer. It's his fault. It's
1: why you're on the show, though. It's why I love your (laughs) voice, so tell us what you thought. I
2: have no idea who this guy is, and I also what I really appreciated about it is the setup of this environment. You're just immediately in the world. There's no context. There's no, you know, and so a great virus came and hit America, blah, blah, blah. It's just like you're in it. You're figuring it out. You're watching these scenes unfold. It's moving from, you know, one thing he's doing to the next thing he's doing to the next thing he's doing. He sets up camp in a big house, and it's very apparent he's just gone all over the world, and he has stolen whatever he wants. There's a gigantic dinosaur head sitting on the middle of the dining room table. There's um, paintings and all this kind of stuff, and... You get to really see sort of the mentality of this guy that survived. And so learning his character has been interesting for me. At first I found him really fun and now I find him extremely annoying. I have watched all of them up to this point. I did like a little binge watch. So at this point, he's grating on my nerves. Um, I liked him before he cut his beard. When he cut his beard, I was like, "Ooh, what is
1: this?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: know. <laughs> um, I don't know but if it's I just
1: the way. That's what, I think that's how you're supposed to feel. I yeah, think that, is. that is supposed to be the emotion of the scene.
2: Yes, he is. Um, he he's just a really interesting, quirky character uh, who obviously can't change his circumstances. Um, he ends up meeting, you know, the uh, only surviving female. And they have a really uh, hilarious back and forth. They're just John. Do you
1: mind being spoiled a little bit? Are you planning on watching more, or you know, what's, I might actually. Uh, but, so, but well, well, it's think, a comedy? I'm not really. I'm gonna
2: try but, not to spoil too much, but they're <laughs> the people who have survived this apocalypse-type world are just the quirkiest people ever. And I love that. I love that they're not like, you know, they they're just gonna live their lives. And so it's it is fun to observe and watch. And like John said, one of my favorite parts is putting myself into that world going, what would I do? How would I survive this? You know, what would what would my life be like? And kind of getting to see how they do things and just the stir craziness that has to go on. Because, you know, as much as you want to try to think that this is something that you would survive easily, like, you would go bonkers if you were the only people that were on the planet. So I'm kind of curious to see how it keeps going and to see how this character develops, if he sort of, um, you know, continues to grow and evolve, which I'm sure he will, because that's usually how, you know, story writing goes, I hope. Now, has,
0: has either of you heard of any instance where a television show has gone for a length of time with only two principal actors?
2: I don't know, because I feel like it's somewhere we're
1: gonna we have to be introduced to like another group of people maybe. Yeah, you're you're not you're not wrong. It's it's already happened. Um, Oh, okay then. So I didn't that, want to spoil it. DC, I did a good job. I don't think we can avoid it because I have to make... I figured it out anyway. You're so smart. I have to make this point because I, I think it's a valid thing to talk about, which is he is literally the last man on Earth for one episode, <laughs> um, and that's the title of the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess two if you consider the pilot you know, a, a two-parter or whatever. Uh, yeah. And then, and oh, I, technically it's Last Man on Earth, so he's he's still the last man on Earth, right? So I was like, oh, title's still correct. Well, that was for four episodes, and then mm-hmm. you know, and then another man shows up. So, you know, it's like in I think after eight, there's four people that we know that have survived this. I don't have a problem with that per se. I just wonder if we didn't live in that world long enough before starting to pile on these characters, and I wonder if that's part of what you're you're dealing with. Uh, in the annoyance is that, you know... Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. The pilot, you know. It's just kind of t- turning into something else, which is fine, but it's just different.
2: But you see, how they're doing this, this show is it's just so fast-paced. They are moving at clips. Like, you know, we advance through him scouring all of America in the first, like, 15 seconds. So yeah. they're not wasting a lot of time with the story of, like, his personal journey. I don't know that they could have... Stretch that out at that same clipped pace because he's already got his, you know, little ball friends like you know the, with his little painted faces on it. Like he's already kind of gone into a level of dementia, so. Uh, I, if- I
0: wish we I wish we had done more of that 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 setup to him talking with his Wilson analogs. Yeah, he took Tom Hanks the first hour of Castaway. It took Will Forte, like, maybe, what, a minute or two before we got to that point? But I would have boy, liked to have seen a little bit more time with just
1: him. But that was for service of the joke, right? I mean, that right. was the whole point was he's, he was like, that would never happen. And then, like, five seconds later, he's, you know, got 20 of them. You know? Well, <laughs> but like...
2: in the story, they advance through time, though. They just... That's true. We've we've just it's not like he turned around and it had been like two minutes. It had been an advanced series of times. So they're really moving this story at a clipped pace and I wonder if it's because I mean, obviously they know where they're going and they're taking us on a journey to get there. I'm not annoyed that there are multiple people. Um It's just really revealing a lot about this guy's personality that I'm just like, eh, you know? He's
1: not likable, right? He's not not a a likable person. person, not a likable person, and so I think that is part of it. Um,
2: There is a part of him that I do enjoy, which is that unabashed, childlike, you know, breaking the rules, which uh, taking a blowtorch and just, you know... Or rolling over things or breaking into places because there's no one to tell him no. So I think that's the kind of fun part of his personality that I relate to is that he has no rules and that's kind of fun. But then him as a person, getting to know him as a person, um, he thinks he's funny and he's he thinks he's got this and he thinks he's like you know like this big mastermind and and he's not he's not well, doing a very good job.
1: It's not like the show is saying he is. You no, know, the no. Is that we all know he, he doesn't have it. Right. So that's where the humor is supposed to lie. I agree he has gotten a little less likable, um, but I'm still enjoying it. I'm, yeah. I'm through the first eight episodes, and I'm still having a good time. Me too. So I don't want to give a, you know, the, the misconception that I'm not enjoying it anymore. Um, but you're right. He, he has kind of shifted in that way, and I think you're right. It happens when the beard comes off. I think that's when <laughs> we start to go, oh, this guy's, you know, he, he's a, he is a child. And he needs to grow. Um, you know,
0: there, there's a TV the trump about this. Uh, uh, Will Riker in Star Trek uh, Next Generation, right? Well, as soon as he grows the beard, the show gets better. Yeah. <laughs> I think the reverse, the reverse is clearly true. When he shaves the beard, the show gets worse. So, you know, take a cue from Jonathan Frakes and leave the facial hair. I, that's,
2: that's
0: right. A big, I'm a big proponent of the beards
1: myself. Uh, my, my brother actually had one of the best analogies to what this show really is. He said, Last Man on Earth is a show about going to college. It's a show about when the rules come, you know, when the restrictions come off, what you do when you have freedom, um, you know, and it, it and you look at him and you go, yeah, he is. he's like he, when he went to college and he's, you know, just you know, learning that he really can't take care of himself quite yet and... So I thought that was a really kind of interesting perspective on kind of that point in our life when we do actually experience this, you know, removal of restriction, you know, when we get out of our house and we kind of make our own rules and, and that kind of thing. And I think you look at the show in that light and it, it becomes really interesting.
0: I will I will go into the next episode with that mindset for sure. That's, that's an interesting analogy.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, that's, that's pretty much all, unless you guys had some, you know, some other thoughts on the show that, that you wanted to bring up to the, to the attention. Um, this, generally speaking, I was leery to begin watching this
0: because I have a curse where if I pick up a new show that's still on the air, it gets canceled.
1: No.
2: Um,
0: I tweeted about this a few times a year ago, and, and I, I talk about it often as a sort of an ongoing joke with me, but I actually opened up a, an Excel sheet and began charting
1: this phenomenon. And, can, um, can I just ask if, uh, can I just ask if uh, Pushing Daisies is on that chart anywhere? No. No, I didn't watch oh, that. okay.
2: But, uh, I love that show.
1: Of, of,
0: like... 20 shows that I had given a shot like from the pilot like the first week it aired um, of the 20 in the last like five years I think 18 were canceled after one or two seasons Ooh. and um, so far I think the blacklist is like the only one that's escaped that net <laughs> and like every other show I've waited until it's got picked up and then I began... like I didn't start watching lost or entourage or, right. or other programs until after they had already had like a season or two under their belt, because every time I got invested, it got it got canceled, and I was like, "Oh, another good show down the drain." Maybe I'm just not picking them right because I don't watch a lot of CBS, and that's probably the reason I all my shows get canceled. <laughs> I I take chances with like good shows on other networks, not CSI like number eleven. Right. That's on me. Why am was I not Firefly
2: watching? on your list?
1: Um, no, I, okay. I haven't seen an episode of that, but I've always wanted to.
2: Oh man!
1: Yeah, you You should should watch it. What was it? Eleven that got ended up getting made that are out there. Probably a
0: half order, and then they made the movie Serenity, which I
1: yeah um, yeah definitely.
0: I've had that bookmarked for a while on my you know must watch list. But
2: cool.
0: As I'm sure as with with YouTube, um, that's a very very long list at this point. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, and I did wonder with this. I I did have this thought because I just watched um, the full season of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Tina Fey's new sitcom. I've heard that was really good. How is it? it? it is really good. But again, it's just it's a silly little comedy, but it has really funny people in it and a really interesting setup. But the advantage they have is the binge watching, is the full season. And, and I wonder if like a show like this, like Last Man on Earth, if it had like a full you know, arc to it, a 13 episode arc that just got released at once, if it would have a better shot. It just, you know, after watching the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. You know, I, I'm really kind of having a respect for what Netflix is doing and how they're choosing to release their television. I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: It's it's absolutely the future of media, and I think everyone's going to adopt that format going forward. I wouldn't be surprised if we got to a point where shows were somehow simulcast across these two different platforms. If they release all 13 on Netflix, but they sort of stagger the releases for broadcast, or, or vice versa, where they, they stagger them first and then release all of them on an online platform at the end of the season I think a show like House of Cards is is fantastic but it totally would not work if you had to wait a week between each episode these plots are too involved the setups take too long to pay off and if you had to wait six seven months for the end of that resolution it just wouldn't be as fulfilling because you can go through that whole thing in like 12 hours it works and I think that's really changing Hollywood for the better is is forcing the writers to to do uh, to work in a different environment than they're used to.
1: I think this bridges I think this bridges wonderfully into our kind of topic for the show which is expanded universes because TV is embracing the idea of fuller universes all at once that kind of thing and really TV had spin-offs long before Marvel had, you know, all the different, you know, guys coming together. So TV has been doing it even longer, but I you know, I do wonder if you know we, we deal with what streaming media and uh, you know digital on-demand content right those are the two kind of avenues so you know broadcast television is a streaming media it's a live source it's a live feed right what we're doing right now is both a live feed and then will become digital content you know on-demand right so I'm yep. wondering if like House of Cards or these Netflix shows if they could do both kind of like this show so like you know, House of Cards airs live, so there can be that Twitter element of it, that we're all watching at the same time element of it, and it airs them all live, back to back as a release, release, and then has them all available for you know on-demand content or something like that. So they kind of try to embrace the best of both worlds. I wonder if you're right about that, if that's kind of down the line. I would
0: like to see a mix of both, where instead of releasing them all at once or once every week, what if we just had shows that released one episode a night? And, like, the first two weeks of January, or perhaps probably more appropriately May during sweeps, we would get an entire order of one sitcom. We would get all, like, 22 episodes, 22 nights in a row. Every single night or every single weeknight at 8 p.m., there'd be a new episode. It would be on Netflix the next day.
2: And I think think that would... I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. I I think that's just probably a, a, a direction that the media might be heading toward, and one I would totally embrace if that's something that we could sort of retain that uh, live tweeting sort of collective watching experience, without having to wait months and months and months, which forces the writers to sort of create these um, singular storylines that can, you know resolve themselves within the half hour. If they're allowed to play in a bigger universe, we've seen that the writing usually um, improves as a result when they have more time to work with. So I'm just
2: wondering like how much uh, how much that would take a studio to be so confident in what they were doing because and maybe I'm wrong about this, but my assumption is that, you know, they put out a pilot, and they see kind of how it goes with the test audience. And then and then maybe with like a general population. And then they have this longer pace because they have the assurance of ratings. If the ratings start to go down, they're not going to put money into it anymore. But I completely agree that I wish that there was some like Tell the story. Get it out there and tell the story. I I know I might be one of the only people that maybe enjoyed the Dracula that came out a couple years ago. There was like a a new Dracula version. I really was liking it. It was was, was pretty dark and gory, but there was something really interesting about it, and I really liked the actor and actresses in there. There was this really curious storyline going on. It's just gone. They just stopped because there wasn't the... Like, can you just have the confidence to at least finish your story arc, and then if and if it goes really, really well, go for it again. You know, people will come back for that next installment. If they have an experience, they're going to come back for the next installment. Um, so I don't know. I, I agree with you on that. I wish that they would do something where maybe they do like a live show, and then you can go watch the next three episodes, and you can tune in next week live show, then three more episodes, kind of a thing. Just keep people on the pulse because you know you want to ride this audience that is getting used to and has complete access to entertainment consumption at their own time. For me, I don't usually start watching something until it's on Hulu, and I can just go through several of them. It's, um, I read books almost the same way. If I pick up a book and it, it's a series and I didn't know it, I get really frustrated because I've already... I've. Plow through the book, and I'm ready to. I want that next, you know, feed. So I don't know. I think that the I think we're definitely going into that culture. And if they can find a way to really harness that, there's there's a lot of really loyal fans out there that would just stick with a brand or stick with a storyline for a long time.
1: I hope so. I definitely agree. So speaking of sticking with brands and storylines, okay. So the announcement comes out that Transformers is now an expanded universe. Uh, Akiva uh, Goldsman, I think, is who, gonna gonna oversee it. Uh, and what that means is, instead of linear sequels to the Transformers movies, there will be some offshoots. You know, with different, um, you know, maybe Beast Wars. Danae, maybe you'll get to see a Beast Wars movie.
2: God, I hope um, so.
1: <laughs> so, how do we feel about that? How do we feel about kind of the, for lack of a better term, the Marvelization of franchises? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? What do you guys think, John? Let's I think, with-
0: I think it's. I I, I think they're going to make sequels regardless. They're going to make more movies within the same franchise regardless I think this at the very least will allow the writers not to be bogged down by a lot of hefty continuity you can have transformers without having to deal with Sam Witwicky and all that other crap you can just focus on different elements within a series I think if we have an expanded universe with Star Wars which already has its extended universe with books and video games um, i think that's i think it's a positive for everybody because it allows the writers to play in that space and, and use that mythology without forcing everyone to be familiar with the first seven movies it doesn't force the writers to include these characters in a way that wouldn't be organic you can just have a completely separate character and a completely separate set uh, section of that galaxy far far away and i think that's an improvement for transformers specifically i don't Think that's a, a franchise that merits this sort of uh, treatment? I don't think it's good enough. I don't think the characters are interesting enough. But it's a franchise that has made almost two billion dollars, so I'm more power to them, I guess.
1: Well, isn't that isn't that a good reason for it to be an expanded universe though? Like for somebody who hates the Transformers movies, which actually I know Danae does, I know I do, and Joe, I, just from or John just from your comment, I, I'm I guessing that you're not. I'm
0: different. Guy. I think the first one was pretty passable popcorn entertainment. Yeah. And. They've since then just been like, whatever. (laughs) Shut your brain off, leave it at the door, and maybe you'll have a good time after a couple hours. But I'm not a huge fan.
1: So with you know, with Michael Bay doing those, you kind of know what you're going to get. For me to hear, oh, Transformers is doing an expanded universe. I go, oh, there's hope for this universe that I actually thought I might enjoy seeing movies from because somebody else can take a shot at a whole different element of it and maybe do something I like. So, you know, that for me, I love the idea of expanded universe as opposed to, you know, sequeling uh, because it allows for that fresh start that you talk about. It takes those handcuffs off, like you say, of a director or right. a writer and says, no, 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 you do what you want. Take an element of this. You're just in the same universe. It doesn't have to be, you know... That's why Guardians of the Galaxy, to use the Marvel example, can be such a huge hit because it, it takes those handcuffs off from the Avengers. You don't have to really know much of that stuff. And it allows it to exist in that universe, and at the same time, be its own story. So, um, right. for Star Wars to be doing that, for Transformers to be doing that, and for us to be moving that way, I think overall it could be a good thing. What do you think today? Ditto. Good, that works. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean, I'm I like just a, you know.
1: now.
0: I'm picturing now like a like a lower budget, uh, like drama that involves characters in Star Wars just using the Force, in like a like a fist fight on, like, like a Star Wars movies without any space, without any spaceships.
1: I you thought you were going to say, like, I thought you were going to say, like, CSI Tatooine, you know? <laughs> like some-
0: <But> honestly, <laughs> but why not? I
1: would watch that. Let's be honest. Right. I would watch that. That sounds
0: really interesting. And that's the kind of thing that Disney can do now. They have all this money. They have all these uh, IPs that they can go to work with, and I'm excited to see what they do with it. As for Transformers, I'm not as familiar with that property, so I don't know Sort of where they've left untapped potential, but people love those giant robots. So
1: more There's movies, a,
0: giant robots, and less movies with Mark Wahlberg and Shia uh, LaBeouf. I think oof. I think it's a win-win.
1: <laughs> isn't Disney kind of doing the expanded universe thing also on TV with um, Once Upon a Time? I mean, think of all the franchises mm-hmm. and, and pieces they're pulling into that. They're I'm, having a fun time. They're having Frozen a good time. is a huge hit, and within one season, it's the main storyline of a TV show. You know, That's I mean. That's smart. It's, it's That's really smart. Interesting. And I, I think it is smart. And I think there's some really compelling things about that. As a fan, there are parts of it you don't like. Like you, there are parts of it you go, hey, you're taking something I loved and maybe making it into something that, you know, feels a little cheaper. No, but, but think
2: about think about um, you know, the, the outcry from the general public after Avatar came out. Everybody was like, Where do I go now? When you have a really great story and a really great world and a really great universe with characters, and just there's so much dimension there, people want to figure out how they can go back into it. And there was nothing for them to do other than wait. And so they started to make, you know, uh, LARPing groups and, you know, fan art and fan fiction. Like, you can't stop that excitement. So if there's another source, another way for someone to kind of connect in, I think that's really, really smart.
1: I think you mentioned uh James Cameron's Avatar and at first I thought you were talking about The Last Airbender which ah. is another, which is another great example of how a uh expanded universe could really help a property that was mm-hmm. absolutely butchered by you know by M Night Shyamalan with that awful movie uh where the original property is so good uh that you know maybe you go back into that There's universe. A bad version. Yep. And, and, and go back and do something interesting with it, um, so I overall, I think it's a, I think it expands our opportunities, It expands our opportunities for great stories, because yep. you, you're allowed to work and you're allowed to play in other people's sandboxes, and that yep. that seems to me to be a good thing overall. I agree with that for sure, and I'm excited for a lot of these different franchises
0: to start branching out. Marvel has so many uh, fantastic characters and untapped pockets of that universe that so many different directors and writers are now able to sort of explore and, and integrate into new storylines. And the fact that this didn't happen earlier is surprising, but now that it has, it's and the, the news recently, a couple months ago, that Sony and Marvel had finally worked out a way to incorporate Spider-Man. Like, I'm so excited for that. I detest the... Uh, inevitable reboot of spider-man for a yet third time but I think getting these characters together in, in a good way that services all of them appropriately is is really exciting and that's something that wouldn't have been possible if everyone wanted to go their own separate avenues with their own separate lineages now we can just everyone be part of the same pool and you can have a lot of really cool crossovers
1: all right. So I'm going to take this uh, question from William. Uh, I think it's a great one, and, and one I wanted to go into. It says, with a growing demand for interconnected universes, do you think we've seen the last of standalone superhero films? So are we leaving something behind that you know maybe we should think twice about?
0: Uh, yes. Short answer: Yes. I think we have.
1: So you don't if, think there will be any more standalone, uh, especially in the superhero genre, movies made?
0: Um, if they're successful, no that's that's the kind of thing that you can't just make a movie and have it get a hundred five hundred million dollars and then not follow up with it that's not the culture that we live in anymore if something is successful it gets a sequel the things that don't are are period dramas things based on real events we're not gonna have 13 years a slave we're not gonna have you know 128 hours I picked two movies with numbers but you get my point (laughs) like these aren't the types of things that warrant sequels but everything that's not that. Everything that's action or adventure or superhero, if it makes money, Hollywood's going to find a way to make a sequel. And if it's an expanded universe, then they're not going to feel as guilty about it. We don't have to deal with contracts and and big pay grades for our A-list actors. We can get an entire new group and just play somewhere else in that same sandbox. So I I think yeah, I we're going to see a lot more of this going forward for sure.
1: Uh, I th- I lament that a little bit. I lament the yeah. idea that we've kind of lost, at least for the time being, the desire to do a story and then just leave it alone. You know, like tell a complete I, yeah. I'm right, right with you. I think it's it sucks,
0: but that's that's sort of uh, the the world we live in now. Is if something's successful, we're going to get ten more of them.
1: Do you think um, I'm thinking of this uh, this summer? Pixar's got Inside Out coming. Uh, coming out, which by all accounts looks like should be another hit for them. It's an original. It looks really fun. It looks like a blast. It's original content, um, not necessarily superhero movie. So I know we're not necessarily asking the same question. But even stuff like that, do you think if that's successful, Pixar will go? Yeah, we'll do Inside Out too. What do you think about that?
2: I don't uh, know Pixar... they haven't done it. They haven't no. duplicated everything already. So
0: Pixar has been very cautious about making sequels. With the exception of Cars and Toy Story, they've they've mostly shied away from it. It's been what twelve years since Incredibles came out. We still haven't had a sequel to that, and by all accounts, we should have. That should have been one. We've seen like five movies from already.
2: Uh, agreed. I, know, that, that. I mean that was
0: a huge movie, universally beloved, and yet no sequel yet. Frozen, they got right on that. So who knows?
1: Yeah, it, and it could be a ch- you know changing changing perspective for them. Um, I just looking
0: at the objects behind you, Aaron, and I'm thinking, Wreck-It Ralph, I could go for a sequel to that, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I I, think it's just, you're right, I think it's going to happen. I just lament a little bit of, just tell me a story, tell it well, and then leave it alone. You know, let it let it rest in my nostalgia, you know, kind of thing. So, um, and
0: even if they do leave it alone, there's no guarantee they won't reboot it or remake it with a different cast 20 years later.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, we're hearing, you know, of, of sequels, to, you talk about superhero stuff, like sequels to, like, Hitch, uh, not Hitch, um, Hancock, sorry. Yeah, that, that movie wasn't good enough for a sequel. But they're talking about it, right? And so, you know, I mean, it's it's like they, they are really digging deep to make things into sequels, and I guess that's just kind of the the world we're going to live in. Yeah, Probably.
2: It is unfortunate, but I think it makes sense that you know, as a huge corporation, trying to make sure that you're making wise decisions with billions and billions of dollars, and a lot of people, and a lot of, um, you know, they have a lot of clout. They have a lot of, they have the, you know, a standing that they have to ha- maintain in the community. Um, they don't want to take really stupid risks, so they go back and they go, okay, what worked here? Okay, well, if we just tweak this and this, why not just do it again? Like. And it's kind of like how I'm learning how to cook. Like, okay, I've made enchiladas a lot lately because I did a really good job the first time. So I'll just, I'll add a little bit here and I'll add a little bit there. And it, eventually maybe we're all going to get tired of enchiladas, but we still eat it and it still does what it's supposed to do.
1: So next, um, time, next time you're making enchiladas and you, you add a little salsa to it or something, that could be like your expanded universe.
2: That's my expanded universe, guys. That's all I got.
0: <laughs> on, on a similar note, I realize this might be a bit off topic, but we're also seeing recently a, a huge trend in television doing the same thing. Um, like with Batman? Uh, Better call we're, Saul. Seeing, we're seeing TV shows expanding from movies. We're seeing Batman shows. We have mm-hmm. um, uh, what's it called? Agent Carter from Marvel. Mm-hmm. And, and we're also seeing a lot of remakes and, and sequels. We have Girl Meets World. We're going to get a sequel season to the X-Files. I don't know what you even call it. And it was just announced they're probably going to bring back Full House. And like I'm actually excited about some of these these remakes, going back to these characters twenty years later. But it it's sort of what I said, it's if we don't know what's gonna work, let's just go to what we know works. And it it's it's definitely a lack of creativity and it's sort of depressing that we're not getting big original stories anymore. But at the same time, some of my favorite films from last year were the originals, the ones that stood mm-hmm. on their own, Guardians of the Galaxy and Interstellar, and Birdman were all original properties that hopefully won't get sequels or follow-ups, and Guardians probably will, but it, it's, we're still getting some original movies, but in in a sort of pantheon of sequels and expanded universes, they feel like the minority these days. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because they are, but it's... There's still there's still hope, Aaron, that we still gonna get some standalone pictures, I think. And
1: you know what? If you're doing it well, if you're still telling good stories, it does not bother me at the end of the day. Like for instance, you mentioned television, I think of Better Call Saul. Phenomenal show that comes from the Breaking Bad expanded universe. And I'm you know, at the end of the day, you're making a great TV show. Who am I to complain that it came from somewhere else? You know what I'm saying? So if you're telling good right. stories, I'm not going to complain. But if you're getting lazy just because you have a great sandbox to play in and you're not using those toys well, um, then then it becomes an issue, I think. And you know what the truth is? There's always going to be somebody really hungry and maybe really poor who's going to tell a great story to get noticed. And that's you yep. know you're going to have those independent films that are going to pop up. And uh, I think of um, It Follows, the horror movie that just came out that's, you know... Uh, I, now I
0: haven't seen it yet myself, though, but yeah.
1: Wide release. I just, I just saw it, and it's, it's captivating. Like, it's, it's somebody's original idea of what a horror movie could look like that tells a deeper metaphorical story. And um, that kind of stuff will always end up popping up, you know. So I think that there will always be kind of the hungry, creative types that will, you know, tell good stories, even if the big money-making types don't.
0: And, and I think... As much as we can sort of lament this oversaturation and this interconnected instant gratification social media world we live in, it also is an advantage to these smaller works, these independent stories because if there is something out there that's good, original, and independent, people share it and it gets around and we're in a world now where where millions of people saw the Baba Duke last year, which was an Australian horror movie that probably would have completely you know lost a lot of money and not been seen by anyone on this country uh... just a few years ago but thanks to all these different platforms for sharing and streaming it was one of the most widely regarded uh, horror films of last year and that's something that i am really excited about is that when these smaller movies and projects and tv shows do create some really interesting content most people hear about it and we actually have avenues to see it ourselves from the comfort of our own home for you know a, only a few dollars and if we can keep going in that direction, I think everyone will win, hopefully.
1: Totally agree.
2: All right. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, and I, I don't know if we're going to talk about it, uh, about the, the app, but when you were talking about like just for a few dollars, you know, you can support something that might not get a lot of recognition. It made me think of the app that we're thinking about talking about.
1: I was just getting ready to transition into that real quick. I know we're kind of uh, just crossed the hour mark, but let's talk about it quickly. Uh, John, you mentioned uh, House of Cards. Have you seen the latest season? I've seen all of them. Yeah, my wife and I binge-watched uh, in about two, two or three days. He is playing an app in that season, and he hires the writer of a review of that app to be his writer of his book. Do you remember this? Yeah. That app is called Monument Valley. That game that he was playing is called Monument Valley, and that's where I first heard of it. I know it's been around for a while. Actually, I think I heard of it before then, but that brought it back to my mind. Uh, and it's a creative puzzle type game. It's available on iOS and Android. I think it's like four bucks, and then there's an expansion that's like another two bucks for another like uh, what is it, twelve levels or something like that? Eight. Um, another eight levels. Uh, so there's this uh, that kind of sparked my interest. I had a few bucks in my Google Play account, downloaded it to my phone, and fell in love instantly with this little mobile game and uh, since then shared it uh, with Danae, and she seemed to enjoy it. So I wanted to chat a little bit about it, if for no other reason to say, hey, there's this fun little game out there for a couple bucks that people might enjoy. Danae, do you want to uh, even explain it maybe a little bit more if I missed something and then tell us a little bit about what you think about it? Yeah, have- you,
2: you definitely hit really well on it. Um, I think what is really attractive about the game is that it's just this beautiful piece of art. It, uh, Escher, if you know who Escher is, um, yeah. the artist Escher. He, it, there's a lot of really interesting similarities um, about how the, each level that you're playing is actually a piece of art and you're interacting with it, and you're kind of moving it around and figuring out how to get from point A to point B. Uh, you're moving your character throughout this, almost like a maze of uh, whatever scene is in front of you by you know, shifting different things here or there and trying to um, logically get through it, but a lot of it has to do with being e-logic. Um, where certain pathways aren't supposed to line up when they do. And the very starting, I, I can try to show it to you. I hope my, I'm going to try to... So this is the very first level that you see, and you're just this little white character down here, and you're trying to get you know, up here. And on this particular... The very first level, it kind of shows you you're spinning a pathway around. And so it might not look like it's supposed to match up, but it does. It matches up, and then you can you know walk to the next kind of place so then this little character and you're learning a lot about this little character as she's moving around who she is what she's about etc etc and it's just it's really gorgeous that doesn't do it justice there's you can see a lot of um uh like fan art you can go and look at it um, I think one of the things I love about it the most, too, is it leaves so much mystery. You know, They're giving you like little clues about the world that you're in, but you're really building a lot of it in your imagination, like a good book would be. So at the end of the game, you don't necessarily even understand all of what you just experienced, but you can kind of fill in the blank with your own version. And I don't think that there's a lot of games out there like that, so I would definitely recommend it. If it's something that you like to kind of invest in some new games, it is $4, but like John was saying earlier, you know, when you find something that breaks the mold a little bit and does something really unique and beautifully and really well well done, it, it's going to get around. It's going to find a way to kind of reach the masses. So this is just a game version. That's sort of what I was going to say about that. So Monument Valley, for sure recommend it. Uh, I'm
1: looking
0: at it now. I kind of want to buy it after that wholehearted endorsement
2: of yours. It's really fun. I just, I love art and I love puzzle games. I, I, I really love puzzle games. So, so here's, the
1: thing. here's the thing, if you remember the conversation, it was more heavy probably about a year ago, maybe even two years ago, about are games really art like movies and TV and telling stories and do games really tell stories in the same way because they're I, interactive.
0: I, I was offended by that discussion, honestly. When I heard that there was a, even a conversation there, I'm like, what? Where,
1: where's the where's the other side of that discussion? How are they not art? I don't even well, understand. That was that was Roger Ebert's thing. He was the one that kind of brought it to the forefront. He he was, you know, anti gaming as a storytelling mechanism. And I think this is the kind of game that, that just that proves him wrong. I mean, you, you look at this, it is a story, it is beautiful, it is it has emotion to it, it has feeling to it, and it's fun to interact with and play. And so um, I think this is one of those games I look to and go, you know, see that games are art, that they can, like you said, leave a sense of mystery and story and that kind of stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah. My, I mean, I've,
0: I've experienced that with with plenty of games over the years. This, I think, is perhaps uh, a bit more overt with it, mm-hmm. but it's I've I've always defended the art of video games for for a long, long time. We've had stories and characters long before we had cutscenes and audio. It was just text on a background. Like you can tell a story any way you want. And video games have been doing that really well for a long time. And now thanks to the the sort of saturation of the medium itself, you can tell stories in many, many different ways with full motion CGI or with you know a mobile app
1: with just you know a really sort of limited color palette or whatever. And And every time time, to, to play a lot of these. And every time I line up three candies of the same kind and it makes a big blinky noise and the candy oh, man. ball, man, it's Here just that's a story of perseverance. You and, think he's
2: uh, kidding, guys. You uh, think going he's joking. Through a
1: journey, you know, I mean, that little, little little chocolate ball, man, goes through a journey and it reaches out to all the same color candies and it says, you come with me. You follow me off of this board and we'll leave the rest behind to congeal and become new creatures. Wow,
2: John, we got to stop him. It, it's up to you and I. we got got we gotta, we got to kill us. <laughs> and on that note, good night.
1: <laughs> no, I really, I really appreciate it guys. John I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. And for sure I had a lot of fun I know we went a li- just a little bit long but man I had some uh, great time great discussion. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what you do, where you want people to go you know, find you and see what you do
0: Oh gosh that's a loaded question What do I do on YouTube? I actually this morning worked on uh, a new title sequence for my 14th web show 14 by myself
1: that's an expanded um, universe.
0: Yeah, no, it, re- it really is. I'm, I'm the key player in all of them. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do a little bit of everything. Uh, my primary focus now is movie reviews. I host Movie Night on the Jogwheel channel, jogwheel.com. You can check that out. Um, just did a 30-minute episode on all seven Fast and Furious movies, one of the biggest videos I've ever done. It took me about a week to put together. Um, I also do game let's plays, news, and rants comedy sketches, I ride roller coasters, blow stuff up in microwaves, I do live shows like this every now and then, and I'm, I'm ac- literally forgetting some of the other things I do because it's it's, it's that many of them, but uh, yeah, jogwheel.com or my Twitter handle in the lower third below is probably a good place to start, and hopefully, it's sort of uh, the shotgun approach, right? I just throw everything at the wall and maybe something will stick, something will...
1: That's the creative the process, though, right? That's what that's what we find out, and it's one of the things that yeah. people who aren't in this world kind of wonder at. Like, you know, I know when I tell people all the different projects I have my hands in, and the different shows that I'm doing, and the different, you know, ways I'm, you know, communicating the things that I'm passionate about. They're like, just just pick one. Isn't that okay? Can't you just pick one? I'm like, no, but I want to I want to have fun doing doing it all and finding out. You know, you know. Oh yeah. What I, I,
0: I operate most of my shows at a loss because I just like doing it like there's a lot of these shows like why am I spending all my time on something that no one's really going to watch or these shows that aren't nearly as popular as some of my other projects and it's like well I could just focus on one of them and get the quick return on investment but that's not fulfilling to me as a person as a creator or as a professional so I don't do that and I try to create a little bit of everything to keep myself happy engaged and, and um, you know busy and the result is probably a scattershot of 12 different things but I enjoy it, and the people that watch those individual things seem to enjoy it too, so
1: no complaints here. Very cool. Danae, you have anything you want to promote or, or pump before we close?
2: Uh, well, I do a radio show with Aaron Dicer, and you can check out our audio we do at AaronAndDanae.com. We just uh, started doing Patreon, which means that We're crowdfunded for a talk show, and we just hit our first goal. So uh, we're going to be going live on a talk show format once a week, and there's a lot of details kind of coming out. Our goal is to go live five days a week when we get our next goal. So if uh, our audio and our show is something that you listen to or you want to go listen to and you like, you can certainly find ways to support us for like three bucks a month, stuff like that, at patreon.com slash Aaron and Danae. So, but mostly that's kind of what I've been doing lately. All my other side projects I've put on hold over the last couple years. But as they come up, I'll tell you about them.
1: Uh, and I would mention, I wouldn't be surprised, not you know guaranteeing it, but if uh, Critic Geek and the Girl becomes part of that you know, live talk show kind of feel, um, we'll still do the video part of it or whatever, but uh, we may be kind of integrating that into... Uh, the show which by the way we should mention is called Shoe the Dough uh, which is Spoonerism for Do the Show and uh, actually we did about 30 episodes of a podcast called Shoe the Dough a couple years ago still available on iTunes Uh, we're gonna pick up with so it's, it's kind of part live radio show, part podcast, right? So, you know, like we talked about, we'll do it live and there'll be interaction. We'll have a phone number. Uh, we're in the midst of securing that right now. We can call and Interact Live, but then it'll be available as a podcast uh, after the fact as well. So stay tuned for all the, the details on that. We're excited about it. Um, thanks again, guys. Appreciate your time and uh, had a great time talking about this stuff. Hope we get a chance to, to chat with you again, John. You were an absolute pleasure to fill in for the geek. Woo! You, might, you mind. it. Thank you for having me on, guys. Do you girl? mind being the geek part of the critic, the geek and the girl? Does that fit you all right? I, I have a hoverboard back here.
0: I saw that. <laughs> no. I, I don't mind I saw that title. That.
1: <laughs> I also have a SWAT vest
0: on this side of the room. Like <laughs> I there. I embrace that title very I mean, I get let's let's see, just 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 within arm's reach here, I have a Superman and
1: uh, a Yoda. <laughs> a Tells you pretty much all you need to know about me.
2: <laughs> oh, that's so good. Ask to me
1: asked and answered all right uh so uh for uh the uh the geek which is john and for the girl which is danae i'm the critic and i hope you'll be back with us in a couple weeks as uh, we continue to talk about pop culture and again you can check everything out at yourmoviefriend.com where you can subscribe on youtube catch you next time swimsuit check sunscreen check phone charger check